there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, Greg Smith, Hill Varsity Extraordinaire. Greg, hello. How are you? Uh, I am very well. I, I am excited and fired up for White Sox playoff baseball. Um, so I'm good. I was going to ask, so the, the Sox are in the playoffs. Have mm-hmm. they started? I follow. I follow no baseball. As of as of this recording, no, they have not started. Their first game is today, Thursday, um, on the road against Houston. So, well, I hope they lose. Thanks, appreciate that. I know nothing about baseball, but I know that as um, a Cubs family, I'm supposed to root against the Sox. So, there you go. Well, the Cubs stink, so that's good. I do know that. I do know <laughs> that that was a, that was a thing this year. We moved to Chicago, and then they they pawned off basically everybody that was on that. World yeah, they really team. did. <laughs> that, like in the span of a few days, it was actually kind of fun to see. It, well, okay, <laughs> sure, fun. Okay, I was going to call it remarkable, but fun, yeah. fun is fun is another way we can take it. That's fine. A um, couple of housekeeping things before we get to the podcast. Greg has his own show, the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Make sure you listen to that every week. Greg, when does it come out? Tuesdays. It comes out Tuesday mornings, nine a.m. Central Time. Yep. Subscribe to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave them a five-star review. It's a wonderful show. Make sure you listen to it every week. We also have other shows that are hosted by some of your favorite Hale Varsity voices. Brandon Vogel has his own, the I-80 Preview Podcast. You guys can listen to a Michigan preview uh, for the game that we're going to talk about later on this podcast. That one you can also find anywhere and everywhere. Um, the I-80 Preview Podcast. Aaron Sorensen and Sasha Durkin have their own, the Mind Your Own Podcast. And then Jacob Padilla is on with Damon Benning for the Nebraska Preps post-game show. We are a proud part of the Herd App Media Network. All of those podcasts can be found on our website if you go to hailvarsity.com backslash network, I believe. And they can also be found wherever you listen to podcasts. So subscribe to all of them. Give everybody a review. Listen to everybody's shows. They're all great, um, except for Jacob's. Don't listen to his. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I wonder if he listens to this podcast. So this is going to be my way to find out if he listens to this podcast. Just keep doing that until he responds. <laughs> It was either going to be that or start taking shots at the Suns, but they were in the finals and my team um, was losing to the Clippers at the end of the season when they were losing to avoid the Lakers. So I'm not really in a position where I can take shots at other NBA teams right now. Um, I will be a, a uh, maybe a closet Lakers fan this season, or maybe in, in out and about Lakers fan this season with Russell Westbrook there. Um, that's beside I am on board with that. You did say that I could have honorary Lakers fandom status you, this year you are welcome anytime yeah you're welcome anytime well not anytime i don't want to i don't want to jump on the bandwagon <laughs> okay i mean i don't know if i don't know if you watched josh giddy in his first preseason game but 18 points and he i'm just gonna say he looked like the second coming of magic johnson i'm just gonna say so 
I mean, that's a lot, but <laughs> no, I, we don't, I don't need that, to be jumping on any bandwagons yet because the Thunder are going to be winning an NBA title in the next three years. And then we are going to trade off uh, one of our future MVPs and then we're going to lose another future MVP that we drafted and the whole thing is going to start all over again because that is our line line. Um, shouts to Cam for producing this episode every week. Shouts to you all for listening to this episode every week. If you are not already, make sure you have hailvarsity.com bookmarked whatever browser you use to surf the internet because Hill Varsity gives you all of the coverage that you need. Go to hillvarsity.com backslash subscribe. Make sure you're getting the magazine. Make sure you're getting premium content. Uh, Greg was busy this week when it came to not just premium content, but just content in general. So make sure you're reading all his stuff. It's really good. And the rest of the teams as well. Greg, let's start with a broader college football discussion first before we get into Nebraska-Michigan, which should be a pretty fun game. Um, I have a question for you. There are 17 remaining unbeaten teams in college football as of recording this. We're recording this on a Thursday. 17 remaining unbeaten teams after week six. Ten of them are from the Power Five level. But eight of those still have to play another team that is currently unbeaten. So let me run through some of of these teams for you. Number one, Alabama. They're obviously unbeaten. In terms of remaining strength of schedule, and I'm going to use ESPN's FPI metric, resume metric for all of this, they are sixth in remaining strength of schedule. Number two, Georgia, also unbeaten, eighth in remaining strength of schedule. They still have games against Auburn, Kentucky, and Florida. Iowa, which plays Penn State this weekend, is 37th in remaining strength of schedule. Penn State is really the last tough team, depending on what happens with Nebraska down the stretch. That could be a fun game at the end of the year. Number four, Penn State is fourth in remaining strength of schedule. They are unbeaten. They have already beaten Wisconsin and Auburn to start the year. They go at Iowa this weekend. They still have games at Ohio State, at Maryland, Michigan at home, at Michigan State. Good Lord, that team. Uh, If they have one loss coming out of the season, then put them in the playoffs. Um, number six, Oklahoma is there unbeaten 27th in remaining strength of schedule. They have games against Texas and Oklahoma state to highlight Michigan 11th. They've got obviously Nebraska this weekend. They go at Michigan state. They've got Indiana. They've got at Penn state at Maryland and then Ohio state to end the year. That's a little bit of a bear for them too. Michigan state is unbeaten 16th. They still play Michigan at Ohio state and Penn state, Oklahoma state is unbeaten. They're 15th in remaining strength of schedule. They still play at Texas. They've got a game against TCU at West Virginia, at Iowa State, Oklahoma still. Kentucky, surprise Kentucky. Also, I was looking at this. This is going to make some people mad. Wando Robinson, I think, is in the top five in the country in terms of um, yards per route run. Yeah, he's so number he's, one in yards in the SEC right now. He He's basically playing the role that everybody thought he was going to play at Nebraska and he's doing it really well and they are five and oh um so yeah that's a thing they still have Kentucky still has LSU at Georgia and that's it never mind they have two tough games left on their schedule there's I mean there's a realistic possibility they could be like an 11 and one team um Challenge for the East. They already beat Florida, which kind of sucks if you're a Florida fan because you're not <laughs> supposed to lose to Kentucky. And then Wake Forest is number 19, 31st in remaining strength of schedule. They've got at North Carolina, at Clemson, at Boston College, NC State, but the ACC sucks. So yeah. there is a scenario, Greg, where Wake Forest, Wake freaking Forest exits 
the regular season as the only unbeaten team left at the power five level. Because as I just ran through all of these schedules, every single one of these teams has tough games on their schedule remaining. Alabama, you know. That's eh. relative because of them. So Yeah, like. they got Auburn and then they got the, uh, the SEC championship and the Iron Bowl is never easy to predict. It's one of those like toss out the record. It's a rivalry game <laughs> games. Um, everybody else has tough games remaining on the schedule. And a lot of these teams are going to play a lot of the other teams, particularly teams in the big 10. Um, so there's a, like I said, there's a scenario where we could get no unbeaten power five teams just because of the way that the start of the season has shaken out. So there are two teams in the top 10 that are from the group of five level. You have number five Cincinnati, which just beat Notre Dame and already has a win over Indiana. And then you have BYU right there, unbeaten. You also still have Coastal Carolina that is unbeaten. And then you have SMU a little bit further down the standings. What are you doing with the group of five teams if those teams go unbeaten? You are a a noted group of five hater. You do not want to see a group of five teams in the college football playoff. We've had these discussions on this podcast before. What do you want to do with Cincinnati if they win out? Let's start with Cincinnati because they got the best resume of any group of five team, maybe ever for the playoff. Yeah, I think, okay, so I'm glad you started with Cincinnati because I actually think this will make me look better because you're starting with the team that I actually would give a shot to with the caveat that there are no undefeated group of of power five schools, but even if there was one, um, I think Cincinnati is building a resume in which they would deserve to be included in the college football playoff for this year. Part of it being that they had to have the success that they did, you know, previously kind of leading up to this. But then also, if they were to, they obviously already beat Notre Dame. They end up taking down UCF in a couple of weeks um, and then win the AAC. Like, I think that they would have a legitimate shot um, based on their resume and then having a couple of things break their way. So I'm okay with, with Cincinnati being included in this discussion. But that's with the caveat that there are no unbeaten teams left. I don't want to say no unbeaten teams because let's just say let's say Alabama is unbeaten, but everyone else has one loss and they're undefeated. And Cincinnati is undefeated. Like I think that they should they would merit real consideration at that point. But part of the problem for Cincinnati in that scenario is that, like you said, with like penn state if penn state makes it out of the big 10 this year with one loss in the conference like they've got to go in um that's a bear of a schedule down the stretch and there's a couple other teams that kind of fit into that category too and i actually think that if you if a team comes out of the big 10 with one loss they deserve to be in based on how good the conference is this year so like there's just a couple of things there that cincinnati though i think that they're hanging around i think that they have by far the best shot at least in my mind, they would be the only team that to put them into consideration uh, for the college football playoff. Okay, here is a fun exercise. Let's just focus on Cincinnati for a second. Because pollsters love Cincinnati. Like I said, they're fifth in the polls. Yeah. But ESPN's systems don't love Cincinnati as much. They are 14th in FPI uh, behind... Pitt at number 10. Pitt. Pitt. Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett. (laughs) 
Um, he's having a great season. Um, they're behind Pitt, Penn State, Iowa, and Ole Miss in FBI. They are 11th in S&P Plus. <laughs> okay, here's the, here's the fun thing about some of these systems. Guess, guess who is number 10 right ahead of Cincinnati in S&P Plus? Just off the cuff, without looking, just guess who number 10 would be. Um, Ole Miss. It's a team with a losing record. What? Yeah. Uh, One and know. three, Wisconsin. Okay, come on, man. Yep. <laughs> I would so, not okay. pick one in three Wisconsin to beat Cincinnati. I would just no, like no. But here's let's let's have this scenario. Alabama makes it unbeaten to the SEC championship game because really there doesn't appear to be a team left on their schedule that will challenge them unless they just poop the bed. Right. Georgia makes it to the SEC title game with one loss on the schedule. They either lose to Auburn or Kentucky or Florida. They lose one of those three games, and then Kentucky doesn't go unbeaten. They trip up, and Georgia still makes it in. Georgia's one loss Georgia team makes it to the SEC championship, and Georgia beats Alabama. So you have a one-loss SEC champion Georgia. You have a one-loss SEC loser in Alabama. And then you have Iowa and Penn State rematching in the big 10 championship game where the loser of whatever of this game this weekend wins and so you basically have four teams the top four teams in the ap poll right now being alabama georgia iowa and penn state you have two conference champions among them and then you have two one loss teams and let's let's say Alabama loses the SEC and then I don't know, Penn State wins this weekend and then Iowa beats them for the Big Ten championship. Do you put all four of those teams in the playoff? Because right now they look to be four of the best teams in the country. I mean, it would be strong under strong consideration. I I man. Yeah, I think I would actually, because I, I think that the big 10 needs to get more credit for like how tough it's going to be to run through that, even with one loss, if, if in that scenario, especially Um, and the sec always gets that credit, that credit would be even more if it was Alabama that lost the sec championship, because they would definitely get in. Um, So, yeah, I think that it would be in in that scenario, I would be totally fine with an all big 10, all sec battle Royale to show who has the ultimate supremacy, the big 10. This is just shaping up for absolute heartbreak for Cincinnati. And I really want Cincinnati to make it into the playoff. But the way this season has started, you have three Big Ten teams in the top 10 right now. All three of them are unbeaten. And none of them are Ohio State. Ohio State is like still there, able to just destroy team seasons. If if they wanted to, if they wanted to, if they figured things out, they're kind of just like hanging out right there. Iowa doesn't have much left on its schedule after you get past Penn State. I don't think Wisconsin is very good. I don't think Northwestern is very good. Nebraska could be tough at the end of the season, but depending on how the next few weeks go. That could go, be a fascinating game. It could be, you know, you. I mean, we could probably imagine five or six different iterations of Nebraska at that point in the season, right? Oh, right. Um, so, like, this is shaping up to where – Alabama and Georgia look like the two best teams in the country through the first six weeks. Yeah. 
I feel like they're going to get in regardless of what happens. I, that's kind of the feel that I get because they just look so much better than everyone else. I don't think Alabama is going to lose more than one game on the rest of its regular season schedule. And I don't necessarily think Georgia is going to lose more than one game on the rest of its regular season schedule. So you might already have two spots taken up. And then with the way that the big 10 is playing with Oklahoma still being there at number six in the polls, if they beat, you know, if they beat Texas and, and keep winning um, also Michigan state is number 11, you got to figure out what's going on with those guys, because if they keep winning, then they're knocking off some significant teams. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I like Cincinnati and I want Cincinnati to be in the playoff, but yeah, this is shaping up to not be fun for Cincinnati. <laughs> right. There is a, there's a lot of scenarios. What Cincinnati really needs is just, it's, it's chaos in a way, but they need all like the different, basically the SEC and the big 10 to cannibalize themselves. Like they really need that to happen because it can, it can't be the scenario that we're painting where two of those teams kind of from each conference rise to the top and are playing at a level where they're one's undefeated, one has one lost. Yeah, that would muddy things up for Cincinnati quite a bit. Like they already kind of got over the uh, um, having the hurdle of having like a Pac-12 representative. Like you're not going to have <laughs> one of them in it. Um, having Clemson lose really helps um, the scenario too for them. So they had a couple of things that have already broken correctly for Cincinnati, but they still need some more help. They really do, and it's unfortunate for them, but, yeah, that's just the reality right now. Yeah. Um, let's transition to Michigan. The big, I think the biggest question with Michigan right now is how real is mm -hmm. this 5-0 and start for Michigan? So they pound on Western Michigan in the opener. It's 47-14. I don't believe that Western Michigan team has won a ton. Oh, they've won four straight. Never mind. Four straight since the loss. Um they pound on Western Michigan. They beat a bad Washington team. They absolutely pound on Northern Illinois. They beat Rutgers. They survive against Rutgers, 20 to 13. And they beat a bad Wisconsin team on the road. How real do you think this Michigan team is right now? Now, I will say on the front end, I like this Michigan team coming into the season, right? Um, but I don't know how real they are. Like, in just kind of thinking about it in the lens of this game coming up against Nebraska, that, and I was just thinking, like, is Nebraska, the way that they're playing right now, the best team that Michigan has faced? Number one is a question. Number two, Adrian Martinez, I think, is clearly the best quarterback that they've played this year. And Memorial Stadium is going to be the toughest environment that they're going to play in this season right even i mean playing in camp randall was not easy um but that was not a night game correct um and so like it, it's just going to be different <laughs> this weekend at memorial stadium especially coming off of the big win against northwestern so like i just I, they're going to get tested this weekend a lot more than you would normally think against the three and three team who we don't know if they're like ready to take another step yet um, which is why I think the line is the way the line is, and which I also think leads me to believe that Michigan is not fully for real. I, I just don't know if they're as good as the record indicates. I think that they have a better than expected team. I just don't think that this is a, you know, I don't think they're a top 10 type of team this year. This is the Michigan team. Take out last season's weird COVID year. This is Michigan under 
Jim Harbaugh? Because what what's the biggest question mark with Michigan right now? The passing game. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is I, I didn't just look this up. This is from Bill Conley. He had a piece about which teams have earned our trust and which haven't major trust issues, but we're working on it. He lists Michigan's passing game. They are filtering out garbage time. They have just a 22% success rate, passing success rate on passing downs, which is 120th in FBS. So what that means, their passing success rate on passing downs is one of the worst in the country. I said that poorly the first time. It's one of the worst in the country, which which would, I mean, you know, that's quarterback ability. That's right. the defense knows that you have to throw it. You're throwing it. So you don't have the advantage. How good are you in those situations? And they haven't been great. 22% success rate is eek. So Cade McNamara, you know, we had the joke a week or two ago, like, is JJ McCarthy going to be the starter by the time they come to Nebraska? Right. You know, he's obviously not. They're five and oh. There's no, I guess, real urgency to make a quarterback change when you're five and oh. Um, but this is this is definitely gonna be, you know. Maybe this is a hot take. This would be the best defense that Michigan has faced. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, that is. I, I think that's true. Like, and that to me is what makes this game so interesting is that Nebraska's strengths play, uh, play well, I think, against what Michigan wants to do, which is run, run, run. Like, they are not going to abandon the run if it doesn't work after one quarter. Um, but at the same time, if you're Nebraska, you have the opportunity to keep yourself on defense ahead of schedule, keep Michigan behind schedule, and make them throw, which, as that success rate indicates, they're not very good at that. Like, and that's where things get, like, can really tilt in Nebraska's favor. So, no, I think – and I think that you can – of all the things that we talk about with Nebraska and trying to figure out if you can trust them and if, you know, what's real and what's not, that defense is real. Um, I feel very comfortable going into the game that that defense will play at a, at a good level. Yeah, the question that I got asked a ton in the offseason was, is, does Nebraska's defense look good on paper because the offenses in the Big Ten are not great? Or does Nebraska's defense look good on paper because it's good on Saturdays? And I always said, you know what? We'll find out. Like, that Oklahoma game is going to tell us a lot about um, – what this defense can do and, and contextually how good this defense is. And then uh, they did something that few teams have been able to do to a Lincoln Riley coached Oklahoma offense. Um, I, I think they opened a lot of eyes and, and, you know, Nebraska over the last few weeks has shot up S and P plus and FPI. They are a top 25 team by S and P plus and by FPI. Um, specifically with Bill Conley's system, they're a top 25 team because they have a top 20 defense. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's such an interesting defense to talk about because if you look at some of the traditional numbers, they're not elite in really anything, but like, I don't know if you read Max Olson's stop rate, which they published in The Athletic um this week it's something that they do every single year they just look at what percentage of an opponent's drives end in a punt a turnover or a turnover on downs nebraska's defense currently ranks eighth in the country in stop rate so like they're not they're not iowa in terms of forcing turnovers they're not georgia in terms of forcing sacks and tackles for loss they're not elite in any one category but they're just finding ways to get off the field 
And it's crazy. Which has been, which, but that had been the thing that we had talked about for the last couple of years, right? Some, something about their, their third down percentage rate had been not great. And then it turned in the back half of last season and they just kind of picked up where they left off. And it's funny because too, and because it's a perfect way to describe it. They're not elite really in anything, but at the same time, they just don't give stuff up, right? They're just not giving up big plays. They're not, when you look at, well, so there's usually like one per game, um, like that Michigan State game where Farmer fell down, which I still don't think that, like, I feel like there was a lot of talk about that particular play and like, oh, Nebraska got got with the flea flicker, but people forget or don't are ignoring that Miles Farmer fell on that or like had a severe stumble. But anyway, that's maybe here and over there. Um, Nebraska's defense has just been solid. Like it's just been rock solid without having the two things that you associate with great defense takeaways and then tackles for loss slash, slash sacks if they could ever get a little bit more of that like you'd never get anything on their defense but i don't think i just don't think that that's how they're going to end up playing defense this year it's just been a fundamentally sound really good all-around defense you bring up fundamental fundamentally sound so if you look at Michigan in FPI and SP Plus, you look at them in, in the, the systems, they're fifth in FPI with a projected 10 and two record, four and a half percent chance of winning out. Oh, the Ohio State is third. So that's 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 why that chance of winning out is low. Um, in FPI, their offense is ranked fifth in terms of efficiency. Their defense is ranked 14th in terms of efficiency. Their special teams is ranked first. In S&P Plus, they are eighth with the 26th ranked offense. I think the discrepancy there is quarterback ability. I think FPI, they got a really good run game. Michigan does. And I'm really excited to see um, those two running backs. It's Blake Corm and Hassan Haskins sort of in action against Nebraska. Um, so they're 26th in, in offensive efficiency by S&P Plus. They are eighth in defensive efficiency, third special teams Nebraska is not good special teams I'm not going to give you the numbers it's not it's not pretty how big a factor do you think special teams will be in this game do you think it it it, it will be something like it was against Michigan State where it is a potentially um determining factor or because last week we didn't talk about it at all like nobody mentioned them until uh Pristop hit an 84 yard punt a great moment for him um, it was so fun to see the team embrace him the way they did. I think he might have gotten a smile out of Scott Frost. Um, I think that it, it what, what needs to happen, and I think really uh, just being honest, the best case scenario for Nebraska on special teams this weekend is to not have it cost you the game. Just have it be uh, neutral um, because I don't think that – I think that Michigan State's – or Michigan, excuse me, special team is good enough to where they can really impact the game. And so it's just going to take a lot of attention to detail and effort on that, on that part of the game for Nebraska to even just keep it as a neutral. Like in one of the things, the best thing that could really happen for Nebraska is early in that game, you hit, just have it be normal. You hit a kickoff out of the end zone. Maybe you get, you know, an extra point that goes straight down the middle. You get a normal punt. I'm not even talking about a boomer because I think that there's something to Nebraska getting some momentum in that phase of the game and being able to carry that forward because what you can't have, 
is like, say the first time Nebraska has to punt and the punt gets blocked or you have a shank or something like that. And then the whole rest of the game, it's just this huge storyline of, oh, what's going to happen next with their special teams? Um, it, but it, I definitely think that it could, it's going to play a factor in Saturday's game and in a game that probably is going to be close. Nebraska is going to need special teams to kind of carry their water and be okay for them in this game. Um, just one note that I want to make. So Bill Conley presents his S and P plus numbers as basically like how many points better than the opposing team. Are you on a given Saturday? So like you look at um, Georgia's currently number one in S and P plus with a 27.2 rating. Basically the way you read that system is if they would were to play Michigan tomorrow, which is eighth in S and P plus with a 19.7 rating, they'd basically be a touchdown favorite. It's just, sure. You just subtract the two ratings. So like when you look at special teams, so the way that he gets those ratings is, is then offense for Georgia, 36.9 points per game. Defense, 9.9 points per game allowed. So the difference of 27. Special teams is 0. 0.2. 0. 0.2 points better. 0. 0.2 points added. Oh. Michigan is 0. 0.6. So like we're talking about like, just don't screw up. Right. Just, just, just be, just, just be anonymous. Be like you were against Northwestern. That's basically all it's asking for you to be good. Like 0.6 points better is the, the third best in the country for, for Michigan. Just be anonymous. We'll see if that can happen again. Um, you talked about a close game. Let's talk about Nebraska now. Oh. And I have the same question for you that I asked you to open the Michigan segment. Do you think Nebraska, this team, is for real because the line came out and it was essentially a pick 'em. And then Joel Klatt tweeted, I've been trying to tell people all year that this Nebraska team is better than you thought. And Bob Stoops said on the big noon kickoff show when Nebraska was playing Oklahoma that this Nebraska team is better than everybody thinks they are. Like I said before, in FPI and SP Plus, they're a top 25 team, but they're three and three with a loss to Illinois. So, like this Nebraska team has a lot of positive momentum right now. And people are saying a lot of nice things about Nebraska. Is this team for real? Is this team a team that let's say seven times out of 10 will play Michigan close on Saturday? Or is this a team that, you know, maybe we've just gotten ahead of ourselves because they beat a bad Northwestern team. If Nebraska had just beaten that bad Northwestern team, but had not played as well as they did and had inexplicable loss to Michigan State, who's a good football team this year, I think I would say, no, we need to see a little more. I'm hesitantly saying that this Nebraska team is for real. And the hesitation is because I've just seen too much. Of this, you know what I mean? Of, over the years of like getting burned in this situation. But there are things about this team and the program right now that I really, really like. And, and to the point to where I, do, I didn't think that I would be here, I think that their defense, like I said before, is for real. I think when you turn on Nebraska on Saturdays, you know now what you're going to get from that defense. They're a high-energy group. They're fundamentally sound. They've got good players, I think, at every level of that defense, just not a, like, super-duper star on at any one of the levels. They make a potential all big pin guy and Jojo Doman, but, yeah, he's Jojo not and a, Luke. but he's not a, 
I don't know that either of them are, say, Aiden Hutchinson, where we're talking about like a top 15 pick, right? Like, I don't, I think that, that to me is the line difference. But they do have two of those guys um, on the second level, which does help, right? And I think they have Damian Daniels, who's playing at a really high level of the defensive line. So, on the can I interrupt off- you for a second? Go for it. Keep so, they don't, they don't have Aiden Hutchinson, right? Michigan has an an Aiden Hutchinson type. Nebraska doesn't. I was listening to an NBA podcast and they were talking about sometimes like, I think the conversation was about the Indiana Pacers who doesn't, they don't have a super duper star to use your term. What they do have is just a bunch of really good players. And I think, I I think actually too, they were talking about the Celtics in this regard, which apologies, Greg, I know how you feel about the Celtics. They just have a bunch of really good players. And I think that's how you would describe Nebraska's defense. Like there's not a super duper star, but they just have a bunch of really good quality players. And I remember, I I think it was Northwestern. It it was one, it was a recent week where Garrett Nelson is coming off the edge and they're running. I think it was Northwestern. They're running a read option concept and he's the guy that they're reading and he plays it perfectly and stops it at the line of scrimmage. And for some reason, plays from his freshman year just popped into my head. And I remember thinking like the second this guy comes on the field, teams know let's just read him because he's going to crash down on the ball carry every single time. And so we're going to, we're going to be able to get to the outside if the quarterback pulls it because he's not, he's not reading what's happening. He's just flying to the football. And I was just thinking about it. I was like the, this, this is, this is a good um, illustration of how much growth Garrett Nelson has made in relatively short amount of time in the program. And I was thinking about it. I was like, I could say that for every single guy that's playing right now. Like they've been in this program and they've just gotten better to the point where they're just good football players that are playing defense. That's all I wanted to say. Sorry. Continue. No, you're fine. I think that's a perfect way to describe what happened with the defense. Um, And you see that with so many guys. You mentioned Luke Reimer. I think Nick Henrich is in that. Um, Caleb Tanner is playing his best football as a Husker right now, too. So that makes that whole linebacker group. And then you throw JoJo in there. I think that that's why that that defense has been so good, because that level on their defense is just really, really good. Um, and then you continue to be able to rotate those guys on the defensive line, which is why I think they have such a good brush defense. But flip it over to the offense. This is where the big question mark really is to determine whether or not Nebraska is for real. Because I could make the argument, and I would hope that Scott Frost, Matt Lubick, Brian Held, Greg Austin, Travis, Travis Becton, Sean Becton, all of those guys on the offense, have discovered the formula on how they need to play offensively. I feel like we've seen a shift in how they play, whether it's them actually taking shots down the field, them actually like trying to be physical at the point of attack with the offensive line, which was greatly determined by whether or not they actually had the right offensive lineman in there, or if those guys were actually doing what they were supposed to be doing. I think they obviously found something with the two new linemen that are on the left side. I think they just bring a physicality um, to that offensive line. The big, big key is whether or not they can settle in on what's happening at running back. Um, recording this on Thursday, Scott Frost was asked today about the running back situation. He said it's always ongoing. I don't love that. I wish that, and I know kind of why he would do this, even if it was not ongoing and they've actually settled on the one-two punch of Ramir Johnson and, and Yant. Like, I hope to me that picture looks good. I think that that is something that I can kind of wrap my brain around of an identity 
And then you know, and it's weird that I described him this way on a different show that I was on this week. I described Adrian Martinez for this particular game as the X factor. And it's weird to say that about a four-year starting quarterback, but Adrian's playing as well as we've seen him play at Nebraska. He's playing as, as, as consistently. He's dynamic. And Michigan hasn't seen a guy like that this year, I don't think. And so if you can put it together, and there's a, it's a big if, I think that they're in a good position and they are for real. The problem is, is we've only seen that for one game, right? And so I can't really, and then now it's going to be, it's tough because you've seen it against a lesser opponent in Northwestern. Nebraska goes out on Saturday and they don't have as good of an offensive showing. I don't think that that means throw it all in the trash because Michigan's a really good defense too. Like you have to kind of account for that as well. But that was a very long way of saying, I do think that, Nebraska is for real, even at three and three. Well, Adrian Martinez, you're right. I mean, he's playing as as well as he's played as a Nebraska quarterback. He's eighth nationally in in QBR, and he's third nationally in expected points added. Nationally, not just in the yeah, Big Ten. And I should say too, as we talk about the offense, I should not leave this out. I, I think the growth from the pass catchers has really helped the whole thing as well. I think that having both Vokalek and Allen in there at tight end and what they've been, what they bring specifically because of the matchups and that you can create in that. And then starting to have the rise of, I don't know how I want to term this, but the rise of the receivers that everybody wanted to see, I, I think is how I'll go with that um, has been really You're helpful. Putting their best players on the field. I, okay, so no joke. My dad called me, was, it was yesterday, I think, so Wednesday. He calls me and he's like, hey, so I watched the game and he was like, who is this number three and where did 15 come from and who is number five? And he's just like listing these guys and I'm like, well, let me tell you about it. And so I give him like what's kind of been happening with like those guys trying to work their way in. He's like, oh yeah, those dudes need to be out there. Like that, that's what people have been saying. It feels like it's finally at the point though where those guys can be out there. Xavier Betts got more praise again this week about the growth that he's been making uh, week over week. Hot, hot, say his name right. Not oh, Xavier sorry, Betts. Xavier Jets. Sorry, Jets. Jets. Did that get brought up throughout the week? Was that a thing that was brought up during the week? It did not come up throughout Damn the week. Damn it. Damn it. We're going to make maybe, it a thing. Maybe it needs only to be because a thing. he didn't talk. He didn't talk this week, so maybe that's – Okay. We need a We need another big game from him so that – so that he can get in front of the media and so that somebody can ask him about Xavier Jets because Peyton, who was a follower of mine on Twitter, mm-hmm. tweeted the nickname needs to be Xavier Jets. I put that in my column and then teased it. And then Zach Winemaster quote tweeted that tease with, I'm assuming it's Betts' logo that he's designed for him. Yeah, he said, totally. yeah, the nickname is Xavier Jets, and the logo is a literal fighter jet. Like, this dude is averaging 15 yards a touch for his career. Fantastic. Xavier Jets, make it a thing. Um, but I, the point about the pass catchers, like, this is what we expected from them, which is which is cool to say and think about because we haven't been able to, like – that, yeah, they said this was going to happen in the spring, and then that this was the expectation throughout the summer and fall camp, and then it looked the way it was supposed to look once the game started. Like, as they have been healthy, they've pretty much looked the way we expected them to look. They've been a good group. Yeah, with, yeah, with they definitely have. Solid guys. And Adrian, by and large, has, you know, looked the way that we 
expected him to look. He's been efficient. He's taken shots down the field and he hasn't had save for Michigan state overtime and, you know, a couple of plays against Illinois. He hasn't had crippling costly turnovers. Um, the area that just hasn't looked anything like what you expected it to look and why they, you know, why this game will probably be close or a, a big reason for why this game will probably be close is the offensive line has been woefully inconsistent. Yeah. Um, they ran the ball really well against Northwestern, but Northwestern, I have been saying it all year, they're a bad team that doesn't look defensively the way a Northwestern team typically looks. So the big matchup for me this weekend is Nebraska has Teddy Prohoshka at left tackle and Turner Corcoran at right tackle. Two guys who are in, Teddy's in his first year, Turner's in his second year. Michigan has Aiden Hutchinson. Nebraska is going to have to play its best game on the offensive line of the season to give this offense breathing room. Like, do you buy that last week's offensive line performance was, um, I guess, a sign of things to come, that this is the offensive line that needs to stick going forward or are we do we just have to approach this game with a completely open mind toss out what happened last week because of the opponent and say this is the real test if this is the line going forward this is the real test and this is what we're going to judge them by oh this is definitely the test for them um but it's man it's really hard though to say that to judge them solely on this just based on like having teddy in his second collegiate start um Nuri and his second start at Nebraska though he obviously did start at Colorado State and then Turner still kind of in his second start at that position like that that's difficult and then to go against these dudes at Michigan um I I think if you if Nebraska can replicate some of what they did last week but the I guess the line I guess I'm trying to the line needs to be be better than what you saw in those previous games even though it's against a better opponent, but not necessarily as good as it was against Northwestern, if that makes sense, because the opponent just isn't probably going to allow for that unless something just wild happens um, in this game, which I don't expect. Um, Because I also think you got to get, I think this is the line going forward, but I also think that one player, as you were just saying that, that came to mind that's going to be really important this weekend, actually, is Travis Volkolek. Like, I'll be fascinated to see how they use him to then try to counterbalance whichever side Hutchinson is on to see if they can keep Vokalek on that side as well to then help out with whichever tackle they're trying to attack with him. Um, that will be a nice chess match. But I also don't want to get too far away from this before I say this, but I don't want to forget it, about the, about the offense. Nebraska's offense is quickly and kind of quietly becoming a group that you have to start game planning for. Like it used to be, like in, in, even in this season, all you really had to do against Nebraska's offense was try to spy Adrian Martinez to take him away or to limit him. And then that was basically the whole thing, right? Now, as you start to layer in some of those other elements, I think you have to go into a game understanding, hey, when 15 comes in, Xavier Jets, we need to be on red alert, right? Omar Manning can do various things. Obviously, they're going to try and get Ture the ball quite a bit. Oh, by the way, we've got to account for that 6'8 tight end, Austin Allen, even though they may or may not throw it to him enough. But we still need to know like where he is. 
Like those sorts of things are starting to stack up for Nebraska's offense, which will only in turn make them better. The whole missing piece, though, of course, though, is what we just started off talking about, which is the running game. Because obviously that's what, for this offense historically, that is the thing that opens up everything else. And it was open last yeah. week. Nebraska had eight runs of 10 yards or more. And on those eight runs, they gained 247 rushing yards on just eight carries against eight explosive carries against Northwestern. It was open last week. They ran the ball well. Jacques Yant played well. Um, and, you know, I- I'm still skeptical of Nebraska, given everything that I've seen over the last my four years um, paying attention to this team. But last weekend's game was about the perfect kind of weekend that you could have leading into this particular matchup. Nebraska ran the ball well. It was super physical at the point of attack. And you go back to, was it 2018 when these two teams met? And some of the comments that were made, I believe Chase Winovich after the game um, from, from the Michigan side of things were, were to the effect of, yep, we could tell Nebraska didn't want to hit. And we took the Scott Frost comments from when he was at UCF and we held on to those and we wanted to come out and punch him in the mouth. And we could, we could tell that they weren't really about that. Um, particularly on defense, this is a tough ass Nebraska defense. They look like a big 10 defense. I think that's probably going to get bleeped apologies for swearing. They look like a tough defense. They embrace physicality. Um, that I don't think that's going to be a question. I don't think the Michigan offense is going to be able to punch them in the mouth. Um, in, in any respects I, offensively one of the the big storylines for me is uh the michigan game in 2018 was probably aj martinez's worst game of his career yeah and he's playing as good as we've seen him play now and that 2018 michigan defense was really good it was a don brown coach defense and they did a lot of things that messed with his head don brown is gone so a lot of the the stuff that they were doing the mismatching stuff that they were doing um, teams figured it out. They moved on to a new guy. What is Adrian going to do against this defense this time? Um, I think, you know, they showed last week that they can come out and they can be physical and they can be a downhill run team. And, and they, it seems like they found a guy that they really like in Premier Johnson and Jack Ant had a good showing last week. So how those guys fare in pass protection is going to be interesting this week, um, particularly to help against a guy like Aiden Hutchinson coming off the edge if they want to use Travis in, in passing routes. Um, yeah, you know, I think this is a, this is a chance for Nebraska to prove it and, um, you know, to come off the week that they had last week against Northwestern to have positive momentum, to have good vibes, I should say around the program, the vibes, good vibes around the program. Um, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't ask for a better lead in to this particular kind of game that we're going to see this weekend. Would you agree? Yes, this is fun. This is where this is back to being fun. Um, I'm at, like, I was telling my wife this, like, I'm actually in my like kind of jaded way of like viewing this team. Like, I'm actually very excited about this game um, for all of the reasons that you just laid out. And I actually, and I don't know if you would, because I've not asked you this yet, and I meant to. I, like, I was, were you surprised by how? quickly Nebraska's especially defensive players went there earlier this week about how they were I guess out physical in that 2018 game and how they held on to that remember that because that was clearly not the first time that any of them had thought about that since then um 
I had not thought about that until those guys, I think it was, it may have been Ben Stilley was the first one maybe that brought it up. That kind of took me aback. And I was like, oh, okay. I think these guys are actually like circling this and saying, okay, we're more physical now and we want to go show people. Yeah, I would expect nothing less. They got punked in Ann Arbor a few years ago. And not only did they get punked on the field, but then Michigan players went into the press conference after the game and just poured salt in the wound. Like, yeah, didn't one of them they, say something about them not being prepared and like they were not they were not shy after beating Nebraska, and they clearly held on to stuff that Scott well not stuff one thing that Scott Frost said right. when he was with a different team. Um, they held and you know what I'm not going to judge them for that. That's fine. Um, they held on to that and they went out and you know did what they had to do. And so for Nebraska, like, no, I wasn't, you know, that's what I would expect. That's what I would expect. That's what you expect from this team now. Like I, I think, yeah, I think the way that this team has is built now and kind of the personality that they're developing, it does make a lot of sense for where they are right now. Like it's, it's an exciting game. You know, we, we don't have to talk about the, well, you know, there's still three and three where Scott Frost at, does he need this game? Does he need this signature? We don't, we don't necessarily have to talk about that if you don't want to, but um, you know, all the, the jokes are out there that like, well, Scott Frost adjusted to the Big Ten after he said they would adjust to him. Well, you know what? They kind of did. And it's kind of working like they slowed it down against Oklahoma. They weren't super tempo. I've been looking at, at some of their plays. To, you know, they had 84 against Michigan State, but, you know, overtime, but I guess only three plays came in overtime. Um, 74 again. They're not they're not blazing fast right now, but they're a physical team. And I think they're a lot more physical team than anybody thought we would see from this kind of regime when they got here. Um, so, you know what, this will be, this will be an interesting game. And, you know, I, I, sh- I will say, because I am skeptical, if you want the good vibes to last, you have to perform well, this has to be a, a close game. And, you know, if it's a 14 point game, like Michigan's still a top 10 team nationally, they're still a pretty good team. So if it's a, 14 point game and they lose, you know, it's, it's a loss, but if it looks tight and it looks close, um, you know, we'll, uh, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens, but I, you know, I think like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is you, you look for signs of progress and you just take this game compared to the last time they played Michigan there. I mean, it's night and day. They're not, they're not the same team anymore. Yeah. It's, it's 100% night and day on, like just the feeling and even going back to um, I was asked this week about like when the last time I had this type of big game feeling around here and I, and I mentioned 2019 Ohio state, the game day yep. game, yep. but even that until it know, started. Yeah. And that's exactly the thing, but we all kind of knew that you knew going into that. Okay, cool. This is awesome. And, and, and I'll never forget like the atmosphere around that game and all of that. Like it was so much fun. All the recruits, they had the kid Jackson Bratton there. They were trying to steal from Alabama. Like, remember that? Like they had all of that stuff going. And then the game started because you knew in the back of your mind that eh, I don't think this is going to really go all that well. Like the brass would have to have everything in the world break right to keep it close. Um, and then Chase Young happened. So like it just was not like so this is a totally different feeling though i don't feel that nebraska has to play the game of its life to be in the game because i've seen them play like just decent against michigan state or pretty well in in some respects against michigan state who's a good team and go to overtime in a game that they really should have won they're a good a good punt away from winning so like i just think that they're in a totally different spot 
And I think one of the keys is, is I think they know that they're in a totally different spot and they're playing with a lot more confidence, especially on defense, because they have just gone out and proven it kind of repeatedly on the defensive side of the ball. They were not just a punt away from winning. They had two chances to win on offense and they failed to convert both of those chances. Don't do that. That is, that is a fact. Don't do that. That is a fact. That is a fact. It was a very bad punt, but still. Um, but even that, I mean, like I was, I had Drake Keeler on this podcast a week ago and I was like, give me something to feel optimistic about. Give me a sign. Give me something. You know, we got something against Northwestern. We got something. We so got let's stuff as he likes to say. We'll see if it can carry over. Yeah. I remember, I distinctly remember the vibe, uh, for that Ohio state game. I was on the field when they were doing the tunnel walk and I was like, this is the most incredible atmosphere i have literally ever been in and it, that remains true to this day that pregame was the most electric Great. i have ever <laughs> seen a stadium for a football game and like i've i mean I, i've been in big games before before i came to nebraska I, I saw big game environments um i'd never seen anything like that and i guess a, another you know tip of the hat to nebraska or credit for them being willing to adjust as needed like Seems like the environment between the third and fourth quarter was pretty cool. And that was a new thing. Yeah. And um, if they can find ways like that to, to, to get a, a stadium more engaged, even more engaged than it already was for a night game, um, if they're willing to try different stuff and do different stuff, um, you know, that's pretty cool. Like we got a, we got a six thirty kick for this game. It's on ABC night game should be a, Tremendous atmosphere, maybe if I go on a limb and say tremendous, should be a great atmosphere. If we I don't can even get, think that's going on a limb. I think that I think tremendous atmosphere is what it's going to be. If we can get that kind of a, a, a home crowd to sustain that kind of an environment to sustain past, you know, Chase Young coming off the edge and destroying you two plays into the start of the game, because that's really what did it. I mean, the atmosphere right. was just immediately drained with the start. Um, if you get a Smory Touré 70 yard pass <laughs> first play of the game again, like we got some stuff. They do. So, um, and that's honestly a key real quick that to me, that is a key to make Michigan a little uncomfortable early, just because if, if to keep that 70 yard Tory pass, I mean, yeah, that'll do it. But like, like try and if, if Nebraska can do that and to keep that crowd engaged, the longer they can do that, the better off they'll be. I uh, would petition Scott Frost to um, do the 70 yard pass on the first play of the game. That would lead to success if Call he doesn't that. do the seventy-yard pass on the first play of the game. Um, that will not lead to to success. So, Scott, please call the seventy-yard pass play. I know you listen to this podcast. I know you have power to do so. Call the seventy-yard pass play. If not, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you before you get out of here, because you've been very adamant as a as a as a Clay Helton hater at USC. Um, yeah you're running the USC athletic department and you're handling the search for the new head coach. How soon after you get off this podcast, are you picking up the phone and calling urban Meyer? <laughs> I am not, <laughs> I'm not calling him. Um, we're, we're going to go ahead and delete that number. Um, and really though, what we're going to do is, is we're going to stay in the big 10 though. And we're just going to call James Franklin. And we're going to say, listen, people have been trying to woo you. For years out of Happy Valley, you're doing a great job uh, this year and getting that team, which is pretty good, but it's not really elite. Like, we're going to get you out of there, get you to USC. You'll be great here with these athletes. Um, we'll try to get the boosters out of meddling, and, and you'll be great here at USC. James Franklin, come be my coach, please. I'm leaving. Is USC, 
is USC a better job? Yes, because you Why? can. I because I think that you Penn have Penn State's a, fourth in the country right now. Yeah, but I think that you have an easier, more consistent path to winning the Pac-12 than you do the Big Ten. I think that you have to be. You, I think you just have to have so many things break right to end up coming out on top of the Big Ten in a given year that you don't have to have in the Pac-12. Now, the problem, though, is that if you're in the Pac-12 and you lose one time, you're basically out. Like, and so that ends up being kind of the problem. But, like, I just wouldn't – I would not – and maybe this is – it sounds like, like a lack of competitor in me, but I would not want to have to always deal – with Ohio State and Michigan, who's always going to be pretty good, then whichever upstart team there is in the East, it's been Indiana, but it could be someone else, then have to deal with, say, Iowa, Wisconsin, when they come back, who knows what happens with Nebraska and Northwestern is usually consistent. Like, I just don't think that that depth that I just rattled off and probably forgot someone just doesn't exist in the Pac-12, where essentially, if you're at USC, you're competing now with Oregon, who their rise is in a large part fueled by the fact that USC is down because they're getting a lot of California players. Go out there, keep those guys home, prosper. Mm, mm, Oregon's rise is because it had cool uniforms. I mean, it was before, yeah, before. And because they had Chip Kelly. was a good coach. Um, but he don't, also don't, kind of went a different way with the physicality that they played with. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm not. I'm don't not discredit Chip in. Kelly in all of this. Eh, they, they, Chip Kelly is a good coach, as evidenced by UCLA being a competent team and a pretty pretty fun team at the start of the year. They had a they had a revolutionary offense. They didn't okay, just they were they, they didn't just like well. take advantage of USC being poo poo. No, no, no. I mean, right now, not then. Then, no, it was them being revolutionary. And I want to make sure I get that because in case Scott Frost and the rest of the staff are listening to this, and half well, we do know he there. listens to this podcast. Yeah, like half of them are from there. I don't want to make it seem like y'all weren't you know revolutionizing the game. They were. Um, but I mean, now, now, I think that a large part that people don't talk about, about Oregon being as good as they are in Amara Cristobal, is USC being down. Okay, so one, one thing that you said, we'll get, the, uh, we'll get the boosters to stop meddling. <laughs> that ain't happening, man. There's just, there are certain schools where that just doesn't happen. Texas is one of them. It feels like USC is another one. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'd want to go coach in LA, a college team. It just seems like there's just a lot of stuff that would come with that that wouldn't be conducive to a winning environment or a good culture. The problem is, though, is if you get that rolling, as evidence under Pete Carroll, if you get it rolling at USC, it can be really, really good. Like, But is Pete Carroll the only one that's done that at USC? Mm, to that level, yeah, especially in recent time, like in – the modern era, yeah. <laughs> so is that because of USC or is that because of Pete Carroll, who is, by the way, a Super Bowl winning coach? I mean, that's a fair question. Fair question. I'm just saying, I don't know. They I don't... just have such great access to players. They get, like, it's just so, like, there are just so many. You look up and down, like, go look. Like, Alabama's quarterback who's from L.A., but not playing at USC, like um, the kid at Clemson who will eventually be better. Um, he's just taking his lumps. He just didn't hit the ground running like the other guys that they had. Like that guy's from LA. Like it's just weird <laughs> that there's just so many of these players that are all over the country, especially quarterback. Um, that you, and, but even in, in that scenario, like I actually think the, the younger quarterback that USC went to is actually pretty good. 
Um, it, it's just, I think that the it's right for the picking. If you can get out there and get the thing going, that you can really get it rolling at USC, especially in that conference. I just wouldn't want to deal with the Big Ten. Okay, so you are the you are the perfect person to ask this question to because this is a question that I have been wondering about. You talk about the, the the most fertile recruiting grounds in the country. You think of states: Texas, California, Florida, Georgia. Georgia. Would you put Georgia in there? Georgia, yeah, yeah. Um, so so the most fertile recruiting grounds. If you have a good USC. Does that immediately mean that no California recruits are leaving the state? Because that's not what happens in Florida or Texas or Georgia. Um, it doesn't mean that none of them are leaving the state. It means that you get the best ones. And then you can also, because you have such a national brand, can go anywhere else in the country and pick, pick off good players as well. Um, I think that that's what it means. Because I just don't think it's realistic anymore to be like, yeah, we're going to keep all of them. Like, I just don't, like, and you're right, to the point of, of, like, Texas and Florida schools, like, it just doesn't go that way. But in part, it doesn't go that way, say, in Florida, because that guy Nick Saban in Alabama just sets up shop in, in Florida and just gets all of the players that he wants. Um, and then in terms of Texas, like, Ohio State has done a great job of saying, hey, we're going to start going there. Go look at their wide receivers that come from Texas. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there are other teams that have figured out, while other major programs in those states are down hey we're gonna go pick off your talent like and that happened to a degree with usc in california as well i mean i guess nebraska was able to set up a little calibraska pipeline when usc was down they were so so okay that's a that's a great example is nebraska able to go get california kids if usc is a consistent power or those kids not having a chance at usc anyway no, I don't think Nebraska would be getting those kids, but it doesn't seem like Nebraska is anymore going after those kids anyway. Nebraska, I think if you ask Nebraska, like, hey, what's the other big school that you would like to be competing with recruits for? I actually think it would be Georgia. If you could, if you could pick someone. Man, that's a tough hill to climb. But it would be, a, yeah, it's a very tough hill to climb. But yeah, I think that that would be, and then maybe like, uh florida ironically <laughs> given you know how scott frost got here and the job that that being the other job that he was really up in consideration for uh but yeah i think hey, it would be georgia hey man i guess if, you know shoot for the stars and if you miss you still might hit the moon you know like one of those i mean situations. but that but because of how that's a great analogy because of how much talent is in those states yeah you're not going to get like the the big time five star but getting a solid four star out of georgia or even a high three star means you got a starter you know like in quentin newsom for example, or Gabe Bourbon. Like, that, that's how that goes. Yeah. Greg, you got to get out of here. You got work to do. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate talking to you. Hey, thanks as always for having me. Listen to Greg's podcast. Once again, the Straight Up Breakdown podcast. Leave him a five-star review or what, Greg? Uh, then I am inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that. Love it. Love it. I love that exit every <laughs> single week. Love it. I had to do it. Uh, keep reading HillVarsity.com. Listen to this podcast. Appreciate you guys. We'll be back next week. A Huda Media Production.